Anybody remember? Stories, people, and um, dates or times. And I think um, the story here of Caleb kind of gave us that. It's a person with a story, and, and it's really what history is. Um, so we're going to get into church history again this evening. I don't know, is this, Brandon, is that working, Elmer? Okay. Um, I want to just review real quickly. Maybe I won't pull it up here since it's not up anyways. Do anybody remember any of the names of the men in church history that we covered? Um, and I just want to go over those names maybe with you, see if we remember those names. Pick, up, pick out one or two or three and see if we get five of them. Just important men, and they took place in the time that we call the persecuted people between about 100 and 300 A.D. What were some names? Just good names to remember. You know, if, if you don't remember anything else, you can just say, I remember these names. Polycarp was one. Tertullian, two. Justin Martyr, Ignatius. And we miss one. He said Polycarp. Yeah, maybe we didn't miss any of them. I can't remember who the other one was either. Oh, Irenaeus. Gnostic. Okay. Um, very good. We got, got those down. And we're going to get into another period this, um, this evening. But before we get into this period, there was one man that I missed. And it was kind of interesting because John Yu, after uh, I was finished speaking last night, he said, the five men that you spoke of, he said, do you know anything about all five of these men that they all believed in? I want to guess what it was. All five of these men believed in a certain thing that John Yu, of course, this should give you a hint, John Yu. Um, what's that? Yeah, the millennium. Okay, they all believed in the millennium. Well, this evening, before we start, I'm going to talk about one more man who was in the same time period. He was the last man in this time period, and his name was, anybody want to guess his name? John Yu, you probably know. He didn't fit the other five. No, Augustine was later. Oregon, okay, and Oregon was known, one of the things that he was known for um, was he was a theologian and a father, and he believed in the, in the allegorical method of interpretation. He was one of the first fathers who did that. Now, he didn't believe in the, he did believe in the millennium, but he also believed in the allegorical, um, allegorical method of biblical interpretation, placing the scriptural, he, he placed the spiritual meaning above the literal meaning in given text. Now, he was a great theologian. He did a lot of really good, had some really, really good teaching that we still hold to today. But he was kind of the start of the um, all-millennial movement, you could say. I think the all-millennials would call him one of their, um, one of their leaders um, or one of the church fathers. Now, it is interesting. He is not, would never be considered a saint. Um, and here's the reason. Let me just read this. Unlike many of the leading Christians of the early church, Oregon will never be given the title of saint. In the 6th century, he was deemed a heretic for several of his controversial views. This is 300 years later. He was considered a heretic. And he was considered a heretic because of his view on Trinity, on the Trinity. Um, but he also held views even more abhorrent to that, um, which were views that led to people calling him the monstrous restoration was... They called him some, over the 600s, they called him some pretty bad things. Anyways, um, Oregon, 
was the last of the fathers of that time period, and he was the first who really brought in that allegorical um, interpretation, where, where he didn't take the Bible literal. Um, I shouldn't say he he believes. Let me just read that again. He believed that um, the method of biblical interpretation placed a spiritual meaning above the literal meaning of the given text. Okay, we're going to move on into a new time period. And this evening, we're going to spend time talking about a few characters. And we're going to be telling a few stories about these characters. Interesting characters. Some of you may have heard. Some of you probably have never heard before. The characters we're going to talk about is Constantine. And I think most of you have have heard that name before. It might not mean a whole lot to you, but we'll talk a little bit about him. And two other characters who really, really disliked each other. And they were Arius and Anthenius. Okay, we'll talk about those two characters um, and what they did. And two time periods, or two specific things that happened in history. You could almost call them the watermarks of history, of church history. And that was in 313, the Edict of Milan. And then 325, the Council of Nicaea. Now, both of those things are probably, for most of us here, we may have heard of it before, but it doesn't have much meaning. And I would say this one for sure, the the Edict of Milan is one of the major turning points in history. Um, the church completely changed from a persecuted church to a church that um, was forced to be a, or to uh, the world became Christians went from being persecuted to forced to become Christians um, in some cases, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. So those two events are the main events we're going to talk about tonight. Tonight, there's the men we just went over: Constantine, creeds, and councils is my title for this evening. That might sound a little boring. Um, I just went over Oregon. Two major events for the church age took place in this period. The Edict of Milan and the Council of Nicene. We're going to go start with Constantine now. Okay? Who was Constantine? Somebody. Um, surely there's some of us could at least give us a brief. Nobody else, I'm sure. Jordan can. He's a teacher. And there's any other teachers in here. Somebody. Who was Constantine? That is a name we should know as Christians. He was a Roman emperor. What else do we know about him? Somebody. No, he was not a leader of the Crusades. That was years later. Okay. Okay. We'll talk about that story in a bit. Yeah, the story of Constantine. Constantine is the basically the Roman emperor who decided that in 313 that Christians would not be persecuted anymore. Now we know that didn't continue forever and ever but in the Roman Empire he made a law that you could not persecute Christians. There was actually an emperor before that or that was a a leader, he wasn't quite emperor of the whole empire that actually had instilled in his region that Christians had to be quit quit being persecuted. But we're going to talk about what made Constantine um, do what he did in a bit in the story of Constantine. Now it is interesting, and we'll talk about this, and I want your opinion on this. The Catholics would call Constantine Saint Constantine. Um, They would definitely consider him as a leader in the church. Many other church figures would consider him, many other church groups would also consider him a leader. Okay? A lot of People would conti- a lot of church groups would also say he was a Christian. Now, that's a great debate that I would definitely disagree with, and I think a lot of people would disagree with that. But a lot of people would call, say, he became converted. Okay? And we'll talk about his conversion a little bit, too, or claim to conversion. But after he was emperor, was the 
major change in history. From here back, there was lots and lots of persecution. Okay? Now, the persecution was up and down. Sometimes it was a lot worse. Depends who the emperor was. We know Who was the emperor that we know of as, as a very extreme persecutor? Probably most of us know that name. Nero. Now, he wasn't the worst. And Nero's time was short. Okay? And a lot of these emperors that persecuted were just short. And they were also, a lot of this persecution was actually um, usually regional. It just took place in certain regions. This was the time of the catacombs. They say the catacombs were probably built or started after 100 AD sometime in that period. Um, it's a time of a church, of a, a church, the church was often, um, yeah, it was a hidden church at that point, at some point, but it was a persecuted church. After this, when he became emperor, it was not a persecuted church. Now, that's to be debated, right? Because the Anabaptists were persecuted, many, many people, John Huss, Huss and many, many other great Christians were persecuted years after that. But at this point, um, I shouldn't say at this point, and I'm, I'm making a landmark here, but at this point, from their back, the church and state were involved in each other quite a bit, okay? Throughout history, even to this day, and um, you could probably say in, to some degree or another. So it was a time when the emperor claimed to be a Christian, the popes gained lots of power, or the leaders, it wasn't popes at that time, the bishops had gained lots of power, and eventually the bishops actually had more, the popes had more power than the emperor himself, and that went back and forth throughout history too, um, which we'll get into at some point probably. Okay. Background to Constantine. Constantine was an outlaw. Constantine. Christianity was an outlaw religion and was pretty small minority in the Roman Empire. Christians were a small minority at that point. Now I did mention that there was probably, some people say 2% of the, uh, of the Roman Empire may have been Christian at that point. Some people say 10. But it was a very small minority. After Constantine, there would have been, people would have said there was about 90% Christian. Now, obviously, there were a lot of nominal Christians and not very good Christians after that. The story of Constantine's conversion. On October 28th, 312, the setting was, anybody know where the setting was? We got any historians here. Where was the setting? October 28th, 312 AD. Constantine was at a bridge. The Bridge of Mavel, I don't think I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he was at that bridge, and he was ready to cross the bridge. The bridge was right, before the, right next to the Tiberus River, or across the Tiberus River, and it was really close to Rome, and he was all ready to cross that bridge, and he was in a battle against Maxitavium, I think his name was, um, and he was going to lose the battle by all means. Maxitavium's army was way bigger than his um, Constantine was fighting another emperor. Back in that time, there was emperors fighting each other, even though the Roman Empire was not controlled by just one emperor very much of that time. So he was he's in battle with another Roman emperor, um, Maxitavius, and he was about to cross the bridge, and history story goes, um, as he looked across the bridge, he saw a sign, or he got a vision, and in the vision it said, conquer by this, and there was a cross there. Okay? Now, this is as the story goes. Um, the next day, Maxitavian crossed the bridge to Constantine and made an awful mistake and, and fell right into Constantine's hand, and Constantine won the battle, which changed the course of history. Now, we, there's a lot of questions that are probably coming in your mind. You're saying, well, what really happened there? Did God put that up there? Or did Satan do that? Or what? And I don't have an answer to that. But it was 
Could have well been God. God is going to change some things. I don't know why God does what he does, but he did that. Um, and at that point, to make, a, make a, short, a long story short, Constantine said, I want to be part of this Christianity thing. Victory belonged to Constantine and paves the way for him to become sole emperor of both the East and Western Empire. Maxitavian was of the Western Empire, and I think he was the Eastern Empire. And in 313, Constantine and Licinius, which is another emperor, and I'm not sure he must have been, announced that it was proper that the Christians and all others should have liberty to follow that mode of religion which each of them appeared which each for them appeared best, thereby granting tolerance to all religions, including Christianity. The Edict of Milan went a step further than the earlier Edict of Toleration by Galerius in 311, returning confiscated church property to the Christians. This edict made the empire officially neutral with regard to religious worship. It neither made the traditional religions illegal nor made Christianity the state religion yet, as occurred later in the Edict of Thessalonica. And that was in 380 when Christianity became a state religion. So another 60 years till that happened. Um, the Edict of Milan did, however, raise the stock of Christianity within the empire. And it reaffirmed the importance of religious worship to the welfare of the state. Um, so we went over Constantine's conversion, the Edict of Milan. Um, we'll get to that in a bit. Anyways, another interesting character... Um, maybe I'll step back. Constantine had many evils. And, and the great debate is now, is Constantine a good guy or a bad guy? And that's still debated in a lot of churches. I think we as Mennonites or, or most evangelicals would probably tend to believe Constantine actually caused a lot of problems to, to the Christianity and to, to Christians in general because of his watered-down version of Christianity. But Constantine wasn't that much of a good guy. He actually murdered his own son. It was this kind of conspiracy thing went on. And his one wife convinced him that his son was having an affair or something with... I don't know. I don't know how the story all went. So he had his son killed. A few years later, he finds out his wife set up this whole thing. So he has her killed too. Um, so there's a lot of just evil things went on in, in a lot of Constantine's life. He also, very interesting believed in God, but he also worshipped, does anybody know what, who else he worshipped? What God he worshipped? Nobody. The sun. How are you going to figure out what I'm going to say next? There was a coin made. And the coin had a picture of Jesus Christ in the front and the sun God in the back. And we, he started a name for our first day of the week, which is what? Sunday. The worship of sun. Kind of sad when you think of it in that way. Um, his mother, Helena, was an also a very interesting character. She was um, his father's second, first wife, and then he had to marry another woman because she was um, of a very poor um, group of people. But she was, and, and after his father died, and Constantine, Constantine became a leader or the emperor, the, the single emperor, um, he brought his mother Helena back and she really took on this Christianity thing. Quote, she's the one, maybe I'll just read a little bit about her. She was, um, let's see if I can find this. She was the one who brought in the relics to the Catholic church. 
She was the one who brought in all this. She was so mesmerized by, by Christianity that she found the bones of Jesus and she found the old cross and she found, you name it. If you know anything about the Catholics, they have lots and lots of relics that they actually will worship. And relics like John the Baptist's hair that they found. Relics like um, pieces of the cross. Just unbelievable amount of relics. You go to the Vatican or you go to um, where, where, yeah, to the Vatican, you'll find just storehouses full of amazing relics that's hard to believe that found. But she found a bunch of these relics and she started this idea of, of the worship of, of relics. Anyways, let's move on to creeds and councils now. Um, Let me just give you an introduction to this era, okay? Now we're talking about 300, the 3rd century um, AD. Emperor Constantine is now the emperor. Um, things have changed in this time. Uh, let me just find out. And this is the time period um, where Christianity is not being persecuted. But we have some other things going on. Um, and in this time period is a major time period of controversy and also of deciding who, what Christianity is. Okay? And so there was a lot of battles and conflicts. Um, during this time period, Jews were considered the enemies of the church. Let me just read a little bit about this. Um, the earliest generation of Christians, beginning with the apostles, faced the task of clarifying the differences between the new faith and Judaism. While the Hebrew Bible was held in high esteem as Holy Scripture, practicing Jews were considered the enemies. Judaizers were soon named because they regarded circumcision, other Jewish ceremonies, laws as necessary facets of religion. By the 4th and 5th century, most church leaders severed all ties with Judaism and disciplined those who did not fall in line. This period also became, corresponded to the anti-Semitic or hatred of Jews. So from 300 AD is when, when um, started, or even maybe before that, but a hatred of Jews continued to grow in this time. Um, church leaders fought for the true faith of the church. Now think about this. Up to this time a lot of church leaders were persecuted and now they all of a sudden start having their own opportunity to to lead and to have bishops. And some of that was going on, but it grew dramatically in after 300. But it also, the church leaders of this time, also had to deal with issues like Gnosticism and paganism. Gnosticism was considered much more dangerous than paganism because it was viewed as a counterfeit pretending to be a higher form of faith than the church already teaching. So two of the things that were being battled in the church even before 300, but after 302, were Gnosticism, okay? And Gnosticism was believing that if you are so smart, and can't believe it or not, it's still here in our churches today, if you're so smart, um, you have a higher form of faith than other people. And it was a counterfeit, okay? So, so the bishops at that time were fighting the Gnosticists, and they were also fighting the pagans, Pagans on one side and Gnosticists on the other side. The Gnosticists were the ones who thought they had so much more and could, um, more, they had more than Christ. Um, and that's kind of what Gnosticism means. The predicament that the church was facing was how to iron out what the Bible really says. The theology of the Christian church was taking place at this time. Now, it's hard for us to understand that, but think about this this way. We're 2,000 or 2,000 years after Christ. We have a lot of what we believe has been passed on to us. 
Okay? And so it's hard for us to, like the Trinity. And there's many, many other things. Um, and some of us think, you know, this time period was a Catholic time period, and this is a bad time. And yet this was a time when a lot of what we believe today is still here for us today. Um, you hear the word Orthodox Christianity, okay? And Orthodox Christianity is basically a Christianity that has been passed on for the last 2,000 years. A lot of people say, well, why are we dealing with Orthodox? Let's get new Christianity. Let's forget it, this Orthodox stuff. Let's get new stuff. There's a reason we believe in a lot of the things we do. It's been passed on to us. The next 500 years of church history, there were creeds and councils to decide what the church really believes. Many of these are blessings to the church today, but some have created course for the church, especially the Catholic church that affects their way of thinking. So we're going to meet up to two very important men in this time period, and they're still, um, their names are still around churches today. And the first man, his name was um, Arius. I'm sorry, Arrhenius. Arrhenius um, is how you pronounce him. And he was quite the fellow. Arrhenius was born, let me go... He challenges the full deity of Christ. But he was born um, around 296 AD. And he was a smart fellow. He was in the seminary student in Antioch. He later became a teacher in Antioch. And then he moved to Alexandria. Does anybody know what happened in Alexandria? Alexandria would probably be like your Yale, your Harvard's. So that was where people learned. That's where the smart people went. So he went to Alexandria, became a great teacher in his day, teaching, the most pres- teaching in the most prestigious seminaries of the day, grappling with Christian theology. He was a fervent teacher with great personality and with quite a following. Above all, he was a great salesman. People loved Aries. Uh, he was, became a very, very popular Billy Graham of the day. He challenged his bishop on his view of the Trinity. And this is where it gets interesting. Saying Christians should avoid the polytheistic view of God. Basically, Christians should avoid this idea of three in one. Okay, And especially the idea that Jesus is not equal with God. Now, that is something when you study any kind of occults, we would say today... A group of people like Jehovah's Witness, they believe that Jesus is not equal with God. You have God up here, and then under him is Jesus, and under him is the Holy Spirit. How do we believe? Somebody. Three and one, the Trinity, okay? They're equal. They're all one. And he declared that's not possible, okay? So that was a big problem. Um, He challenges his bishops on his view of the Trinity, saying Christians should avoid the, the idea of three... Um, Three gods. This takes place after the Edict of Milan. And everyone gets involved and chooses two sides. And it becomes a major uproar for the next 500 years. Not just for the next year. Um, It has a big fight. It becomes such a big fight that it threatens the unity of the empire. Now Constantine, who's the emperor, and he accepted Christianity... And it's become so bad because we say about 90% are Christians at this point. They have such a big split. He's scared the whole um, Roman Empire is going to get split because of this thing. Um, So he calls a council. But before we talk about that council, which becomes an Athenian council, before we talk about that, we need to meet up with another man. And this man was named Anthenius. And he was also a very smart young man. Um, And by this time, Arius was quite a bit older than Athenius. And Athenius is... Bishop was doing battle with Arius 
when, Ari, and when Athenius bishop Alexander dies, Athenius becomes the leader in the battle against Arius. Athenius was also a great leader. He also was, was learned. Um, and an interesting, they called him the black dwarf. Because he was real short and he was real dark, complected. And he was real mean. And when you read about these two guys in history, I quickly choose Arius over Athenius because he was such a nice person. And he was, so many reasons why you'd want to believe Arius except for he was a heretic. And really what he believed was quite wrong. Um, but this Arius, this Athenius guy um, was very strict. He was very structured and he laid down the law. He grew up in a Christian home. He was well educated. Um, and as he grew older, he wanted to become a pastor and he became a pastor. He chose um, to defend the faith. He did not lead him to the life of ease. Um, and after his battle in the next 30 years or 40 years, he ends up getting exiled five different times because the Pope or the um, empire, emperor of that time chooses one and then he chooses the other and went back and forth. But in um, 325 AD was the Council, Council of Nicaea, and we're going to go right into that right now. Council of Nicaea in 325. With little hope of resolving the problem between the two, Constantine called a council, and he invited 1,800 bishops to this council. And in this council, um, only 180 bishops showed up, but they condemned Arius. And they said, your belief in the Trinity is wrong. Um, you are a heretic, and you cannot teach in the church anymore. Now, it was different back then. They didn't put him in the, they didn't kill him at the time, and they didn't, you know, they just exiled him because they weren't persecuting people like they did. He returns home. No, I'm sorry. The Council of Nicaea so falls apart and the drama begins and Antinous now becomes... Oh, step back. A little later, everything turns again and everybody turns against Antinous because he's just this kind of leader that you just don't want to like. Um, and they turn against him and the emperor actually brings Arius back and promotes Arius. Well, it goes back and forth about three or four times. Uh, but the battle continued. And we say, why am I telling this story? You know, what does it matter? I'm going to ask you the question right now. What does that matter? What does that story matter? Or doesn't it? This is major. In, in most, well, in every seminary you would study this. But what, what's so important about 1325? Why does this matter? Or is it just a good story? We still hold the way of the Trinity. Does it matter? And you know, I was thinking about that tonight. Does that matter? That's not at Weavertown. So tell me more, John. So, well, maybe I'll just say this, and then maybe we can talk about that some more. These men who followed Arian, um, well, I'll leave that go. Well, maybe I'll come back to that. Today, all Christians believe the unity of God the Father, God the Son, are equal. But we continue, even in our churches today, to deal with those trying to bring back this heresy. You're not considered a Christian today if you believe what Arius did. That's called an occult. Okay? And that's almost your definition for it. That is your definition for a cult. When you hold God the Father differently than God the Son. 
Am I right, John? Um, and that time period was battling with what... Well, maybe I ask a question. What do, how do we feel about a cult? How do you feel about Jehovah's Witness? Now, these, these are hard questions. I know 50, 60 years ago, it was very clear how people felt about Jehovah's Witness. Loved, loved the people, but they didn't expect to go to heaven with a Jehovah's Witness. Now, we have a hard time even saying that today, don't we? Anybody? Is occultism, are we going to share heaven with occults? With occultic religions? Nobody wants to shake their head yes or no anymore. Michael's shaking his head no. I can tell you something. 50 years ago, if I'd asked that question, I think our responses would have been different. <laughs> Jay's shaking his head yes. But anyways, it is real. Um, and, and whether some of you may say, well, I think you're being a little extreme. That is throughout the last thousand years. 500 years, that's how people believed so strongly against that belief. I don't, I don't want to get into a lot of details maybe about that belief. Here's a, here's a quote by Athenius. The Jesus who I love as my Redeemer cannot be less than God. Very, very important. We may wonder why the councils, why all this ridiculous battle between two leaders? Why did God use Constantine for this important watermark decision for the church? There are so many imperfect people and, yes, very inconsistent people whose ideas brought about in order to come up with... Let me read that again. There were so many imperfect people, people and ideas brought about in order to come up with this very important decision that could have heaven or hell implications. Now, I didn't make that quote. That is actually a quote um, from the book I read. The declaration of the full deity of Christ was... has vast implications for the church and for me. If they would not have made this decision to follow Anthenius, the view of Jesus Christ and the church would now be believing something different. Now, we know God had his hand in all this. Um, it is interesting. I need to finish the story about Anthenius and Arius. The battle went on between them for years. And finally, the battle, by the, by the end of, uh, of Constantine's life, he actually was becoming an Arius supporter, which... You know, you ask the question, was Constantine a Christian or not? But he became, when he, he, he didn't get baptized to his deathbed, and he actually brought an Arius supporter into, this is very interesting, he brought an Arius bishop in to have him baptized. Now, the Catholics deny that because why? But the story goes, that a story was made up afterwards that this couldn't, couldn't be, that he would have got an Arius bishop to baptize him. Why do you think the Catholics deny that? And more than just the Catholics. Okay. Yeah, but why would they deny that? Anybody? Because they hate Arius. Okay, they call him a cult and a heretic. But they like Constantine. They call him a leader. Constantine was the one who was a big leader in their church. So they have a hard time dealing with both of those. Anyways, so the story goes on. Finally, Arius um, is about to succeed. And it looks like the tide's turning, and it looks like the world's going to... No, the world's not going to come to the end. But it looked like, like most of the empire was starting to follow Arius. And there's, you can read about how um, Anthenius went off, and he said it looks like the world's going to come to the end, and things are about to fall apart, and everything's about to fall apart. And he comes back, he's, 
Asked to come back to the city of Rome and to be a leader. Arius is. And as he comes back, I'll have to read this part to you. As he comes back into the city, I don't know, maybe if I can find it here. Um, he's about to walk in and he's about to get into, um, into the city. And he all of a sudden gets convicted. So people say, now some of this is history, right? This is not gospel history that I'm reading from the word of God. But this is what people are, are saying about this, what happened here. And he starts not knowing what to do and getting scared and nervous. And he had to go to the bathroom. Um, so he walks out. And his bowels came out. And his, it, they said, he, and he died. That's the story of Arius. And he never made it back. And Anthenius was brought back in. And the people said, here's proof. This guy's not real. Now, the great debate was whether he was poisoned or whether God did that. Nobody knows that. But history would say that it was factual that he actually died and his bowels actually fell out right before he came into the city. So that's how the story ends with Arius and Anthenius. But Anthenius uh, today, and, and after the council of, of of Nicene, there's many, many more councils took place. And finally, and once for all, the church said, this is how we believe. And we believe, like Anthenius, we believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are three in one. Okay? They're the same. And we have that with us today. Um, major, pretty big deal and a pretty big part of church history. Just remind it again, as I study church history, God uses imperfect people to care for his beautiful church, his bride. I tell you those stories and you say, beautiful? Messed up people? And yet we're here today, and there's many other churches here today, in our county, in our country, in our world, who are serving and following God because of some of these battles. How easy would have it been for the whole church to fall apart after that? Could it easy happen? But no, God said it's not going to happen. He said, I'm coming back for my bride. And my bride is going to continue um, throughout history. Messed up history. Messed up people. Constantine, Arius, even Anthenius. A lot of problems. The people in this time period, there was lots and lots of problems. The stories are about too sad to read. And yet we read our stories of us here today. And some of them are sad too, right? But God is continuing to work through us, our imperfections and our struggles um, and, and what's going on. Anybody have any questions? I think I'm going to close with that. Um, I want to get in tomorrow. I want to get into two different men. Um, I probably won't get into them. Simon the Stylite, Augustine of Hippo. Who are these men? Augustine, you've probably heard of. Simon, maybe not. Anybody hear of Simon the Stylite? Very, very interesting man. He spent most of his life in a tower. Just a small tower. And that's how he served God. And that's how he served God. Now, we're going to talk about um, these men. And they were an interesting group. They were the desert fathers. They believed in extreme following of Christ, which you call asceticism. And then we're also probably, probably going to move right on up into the reform or the reformation. Anybody have any questions? Any thoughts? Any contradictions? Feel free to do that. I do not claim to know all of history for sure not. And I don't claim to always be on the right side of history. Hopefully I am. But um, hopefully you can get excited about studying yourself. And maybe checking what I said. And make sure some of that is really like I said.